If you've got a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to go with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I, I didn't read every verse uh, of Luke 15 this morning because it would just take a lot of time to do that, but we're going to reference basically every verse in this chapter before we're done. So I hope you can listen fast because I'm going to need to talk fast. So a long way to go and a short time to get there, but we're going to get it done. Luke 15. We know that the heart of God the Father was revealed to us in God the Son, Jesus. We know that if we want to know what God the Father is like, all we have to do is look and study Jesus and His earthly ministry, and we see God on display. And Scripture teaches us in John chapter 1, kind of the overarching source of this series, if you will, to some degree. John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son. Jesus, when He came from the Father, was full of grace and truth. Last week, we started in Luke 15. We kind of ended our time together last week there. And in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, we recognize that tax collectors and sinners were attracted to listen to Jesus. That wasn't because he compromised. That wasn't because he sinned with individuals. There was something about Jesus that attracted people to him. And we reference that Matthew 9 captures something very similar in that he called Matthew from the tax collector's booth to follow him. And then Matthew held a meal in his home with tax collectors and sinners. And even in Matthew 9, Jesus was accused of keeping company with the wrong kind of people. And that's when Jesus is accounted as saying, it's not the well or the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. We also notice that Jesus, as I said a moment ago, was accused in Luke 15 by religious leaders of spending too much time and eating with these people. It's in the context of the accusations from the religious leaders, from the Pharisees, that we have Luke chapter 15 full of three parables or stories that Jesus told to illustrate a point. Question for you today as we begin. How much does God care about lost people? How much does God care about lost people? I think by looking at Luke chapter 15, we find out all three of these parables emphasize God's value, God's care, and God's love for lost people. And all three of these parables along the way emphasize grace and truth. And I'm going to show you that as we work through it. Pick up with me, if you will, in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse number 3. And we find the first parable that Jesus told in this chapter, the parable of the lost sheep. This parable gives a picture of a shepherd and his sheep. Now, it's very common in Scripture for God and Christ followers or Christians to be represented in terms of a shepherd and sheep. Uh, it's, it's representative of God and His actions with His people. Jesus is called in Scripture the good, the great, and even the chief shepherd. If you've ever studied what a shepherd was like in the days of Scripture, then you know that shepherds were more than just hired servants. They were dedicated caregivers for sheep. 
They led them, they guarded and protected them, they cleaned them, they sheared them, they watched over them. Now in Luke 15, the shepherd cares very much about the 99 sheep who are still with him. But he recognizes that one has wandered off and is missing. And the picture we get in Luke 15 is of an anxious shepherd retracing his steps throughout the day. And when he's going around looking for the sheep, he's calling the sheep by name. See, we we just see a big clump of wool, but the shepherd knows each sheep by name. And when the shepherd finds the sheep, the Bible teaches us that that shepherd doesn't hit or harm, criticize or wrangle, but rather he throws the sheep over his shoulder, and lovingly carries it back to the fold. Yes, the sheep was careless, he wandered, he was separated from the shepherd and from the flock. But you don't find the shepherd hitting him over the head or punishing him or bringing him back with a rope around his neck. But rather, you find that the shepherd joyfully carries the sheep home and is thrilled to know it makes his day to know the sheep is back where he belongs. And let me mention a couple of things in this parable. First of all, we know that every human being is made in the image of God. And there are many human beings who are wandering, just like this lost sheep, somewhere away from God. Some have never known God, and, or they've rejected God, or they've once known Him and chosen to wander away. But we can learn from this parable that God goes to great lengths to pursue people who are not in relationship with Him. I'm going to say that again. God goes to great lengths to pursue people who are not in relationship with Him. Maybe that's even you today. I tell you that God has proven His love through the death of His only Son, Jesus, that paid for your sin. I tell you today that creation speaks of a Creator who loves you and created you in His image. I tell you today that the Holy Spirit is at work and drawing people to God Himself. Every lost person needs to be rescued. And if we can pause for a moment today to say, I'm grateful that God came looking for me. Now the second parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 beginning in verse 8 is similar. It's called the parable of the lost coin. This parable tells the story of a woman who lost a coin. The coin was valuable, precious to the owner. Yeah, she had nine other ones, but this one most likely represented a day's wage. And it's possible that all ten of these coins or this this representation was a gift. And so it's possible that this was even very sentimental to her. The point being, the coin was very valuable. And as you read and study in this parable, Jesus told the woman is diligent to search for the coin... And the diligent search led to the coin being found. We said it a moment ago. God goes to great lengths to pursue people who do not already have a relationship with Him. You are valuable to Him. And He's pursuing you that if you don't know Him and know His love and know His power and know His ability to transform lives, God is inviting you as He pursues you to know that power. And I want you to notice in both parables. 
that in both of those first two parables, there is a rejoicing from the one who pursues and an invitation for others to come and rejoice as well. Jesus even went far enough to say that heaven rejoices. Even the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents and comes to know God. One. One. How significant is it when someone responds in a moment like this service to an altar call or to a moment online? How significant is it when we baptize someone in water, significant of them experiencing the life-changing power of God in their life? How big is it? All of heaven is rejoicing even when one, one sinner repents. One. Now this brings us to Luke chapter 15, verse number 11. This, this parable that Jesus taught, and honestly, Jesus in telling these stories and these parables, it, He was coming to a point in this one in particular. We're not going to be able to go through every detail of this parable today, but we're going to rightfully pick up next week with the story of the other brother. Because a lot of people focus on the prodigal or the lost son. And there's validity to that. We should view what God's speaking to us in the middle of that story. At the same time, Jesus' point came at the end of the parable to a group of people known as the Pharisees and religious leaders. Remember the context. It's people accusing Him of spending too much time with sinners. And so at the end of this parable, he addresses the older brother in the story, representative of the Pharisees and religious leaders and their attitude towards sinners. So we're going to come to that next week. But for the, for the last few moments of today, we're going to focus on the prodigal son or the lost son. The younger son in this parable had it good. Honestly, he had everything he could ever think of. Context tells us, this younger son was living in, in a wealthy family. There was no needs there. But somehow, somewhere along the way, he began to believe he needed freedom. He began to believe that somewhere the grass was greener on the other side. I guess all of us have probably heard if the grass is greener, it may depend on what you're watering it with. Some of you will catch that on the way home. He didn't realize how good he had it. So the younger son approaches his father and asks for his portion of the inheritance that he was due with intent to leave home, to be free to do what he wanted to do, when he wanted to do it, without anyone telling him what to do. Now if you know much about an inheritance, you know that this is what is left to a child or children after the death of the father. So this request by the younger son indicates the level of disrespect the younger son had for his father. And it indicates just how much he desired to be out from under dad at home. I want you to notice that the narrative of Luke 15 tells us that the father didn't argue with the younger son. Context tells us that the father never wanted his son to leave home. He never wanted this to happen... And in fact, he longed for the day when he would come home. But the father didn't argue. The father divided the inheritance, the material wealth between, notice this, between them, both brothers. 
Context tells us that was quite a bit of wealth. The younger son gets his portion. The older son receives a portion, which would have been more than the younger son. And the younger son didn't waste any time leaving home. He left home, he headed to a foreign land, out from under dad, out from under life as he knew it, and he lived, Scripture teaches us, as wildly as you can imagine. And context tells us that that involved immoral lifestyles, participating in behaviors that were immoral. Even the brother accuses him of immoral living. He goes off to a foreign land. He lives as wildly as you can imagine, and in doing so, squandered everything he had. You, you may can imagine the younger son being like some people today at this age who would who would have considered themselves to have a need to sow wild oats, if you will. He did that and more. I want you to pause here for a moment because I believe there are a couple of things we need to notice in what we've studied so far. First of all, here's a good truth for us to understand. God never forces anyone to accept Him or to remain with Him. God never forces anyone to accept Him or to remain with Him. I want you to notice in this parable, the father remained right where he was. It was the son that left. God is still there. It's the person who's choosing to move away. We have this thing in our lives called free will. God desires relationship with all people. And we're taught in Scripture, especially in James chapter 4, verse 8, that if we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. But in, in many ways, that Scripture reads in a sense of the ball being in our court. Do we want to walk with God? Do we want to follow God? Do we want to hear what He has to say? This is not a robotic love where we're pre-wired to automatically choose God. This is a free will opportunity that we have by devotion, devotion by choice, to love God because He first loved us. We have free will. And the second truth in what we've read and studied so far is this. There are many people today in the same place as the younger son. There are people who have no respect or seemingly feel they have no need for God. People have reduced the journey with Jesus to just simply a bunch of rules and responsibilities and they think that what they want is freedom and freedom in their minds is absent of any form of religion that is just rules to them. They want to be able to be free to live and to do however they want. There are many people in our world today who will live off the blessings of God but yet turn their backs on Him. They'll live off the bountiful earth that we have. They'll, they'll live off, even the Scripture says, the, the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. They will live and want all of the things that God has created, all of the things that God can provide, and yet they turn their back on God. Let's pick it up in Luke 15. The younger son's gone away. He's lived immorally. He's squandered everything he had. And the younger son comes to a spot where he had nothing left. He got the freedom he wanted, he did whatever he pleased, and he wasted it all in the process. And there was nothing left. 
You can even imagine that at this point, the people who hung out with him and participated with him in the immoral living, all those friends were gone because all the money was gone. And he may could have made it. Maybe he could have found a way, even being broke, except for then where he was, the country he was, experienced a famine with no food. And the younger son found himself in need. The friends are gone. The cash is gone. The hunger is now present in his life. Think about this. One writer said, If we apply this to the plight of sinful men, we are not wrong to say that sin results in hunger. There is always a famine in the heart when a person moves away from God. Wow. There's always a hunger, always a famine in the heart when a person moves away from God. You can have all of it and still be empty. Full of things, full of money, full of possessions, full of what you think life should be, and yet you can still be hungry for something that the world doesn't Satisfied. To make it and to get through a time of being broken, hungry all at the same time, the younger son hired himself out to a pig farmer in a foreign land to feed the pigs. Now remember, the context of these parables, Jesus is dealing with the religious, the Pharisees, the people who are criticizing him for hanging out with the wrong people. This younger son in this parable being told is representative of being a person who is Jewish. The foreign land was clearly not Jewish as there were pigs being fed. Jews and pigs didn't, didn't coexist. So this Jewish boy is now working for a non-Jewish pig farmer. And the Pharisees at this point that Jesus is telling these parables to would have been disgusted by the younger son. Jesus intentionally, I believe intentionally, is making this younger son out to be the most immoral, the, the, the most filthy, the most sinful. Jesus wants to create in the mind of the Pharisees that one person that society and the religious especially would push aside. The boy became so hungry that he wanted to fill his stomach with pig food. Look, I've been hungry many times in my life, but I have never been hungry enough to want to eat pig food. I may have been a kid and tried dog or cat food one time, but I have never wanted pig food. But there's a major change that comes in this story in Luke chapter 15, verse 17. It was bad. But something happens in that pig pen. Something happens in those moments. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? Do you understand what he's saying in this moment? It's not just, I was his son and I had it good. He's saying, it's so good at home that even the people who are just the ones hired to do the work, they're better off 
at my father's house than I am. Here's a grace point in this parable for us to remember. God doesn't cause all circumstances. But God will often speak to people through circumstances. God doesn't cause all circumstances, but God will often speak to people through circumstances. The younger son in this parable realized that he'd somehow lost sight of home and understanding how good home really was. Even, his, even the servants at his father's house had better care than he did at that time. And the Bible is clear that it's often in moments like these. We'll call them for the sake of the parable, the pig pen moments. It's often in the pig pen moments. When life is low, when life is hard, when life you look up and it's not meeting what your expectations were here and reality is here and they can't seem to come together. It's in those moments that the Holy Spirit will often speak into people's lives and convince them of their need for Jesus. God brings awareness that self-sufficiency in our lives is never the answer. We can't do it on our own. We can't make it happen on our own. And He brings to light, this is grace, church. God brings to light that we need a change in our lives. And here's the truth. Spiritually lost people have to come to that place of self-awareness. We should be active in the kingdom of God. We should be a people who are journeying with others. We should be a people who are spreading the good news of Jesus. But we also understand that as we speak that truth, they have to come. That person on the other side of the table, that person in our family, that neighbor, that coworker, that person has to come to the place of realizing their need for Jesus. One of the things that got me early, early on in ministry, I've been preaching, mom said I preached when I was three years old at home. I don't know if that's true or not. But I've been preaching for, for many years. And one of the things that really got me early on was preaching a message that I knew had been burdened on my heart for people. And you get to the end of that message and you wonder if people are really responding to what God is saying. And I used to carry the burden in myself. Feeling like that, well, if people didn't respond, maybe I didn't communicate it well enough. You ever been there? Even in conversation. Man, I wish I'd have said that. I wish I'd have said it this way. I wish I had opportunity to have that conversation again. In those moments where I felt like maybe I should have communicated better. Maybe I came off too mad. Maybe I came off too loving. Maybe I was truth-filled. Maybe I was grace-filled. Maybe somehow it's on me. And I had to come to that place like we all do in our journey with Jesus as we go about living out the Great Commission. To remember that our responsibility is to be faithful to spread the truth of Jesus. To trust the Holy Spirit to do the convicting and saving work in the lives of people. We can be used of God, but it's still the work of the Spirit that does the work of saving. 
truthfully, I had to come to that place of realizing, and maybe we all have to come to that place in our journey day to day, I can't save anyone. I can be obedient. I should be obedient. I should be a person who's on the journey with others. I should be a person who's speaking truth. I can't compromise that. I should be a person who's grace-filled at the same time. I can do all of those things, but there has to come a moment of self-awareness. There has to be a place of realization. In the younger son and, and even in today, there has to be this realization of my sins, my issues, my decisions took me away from the Father. Sin isn't the answer. I need an answer for sin. My way isn't the answer. I need someone to lead my life. I need something more. I need something better. I need someone greater. I need to turn away from the current way I'm living life to a life that is promised to me to be abundant. That's what repentance is. You don't hear that word as often anymore in our world today, but repentance is still as valid today as it's ever been because repentance, at the core of the understanding of repentance, it's I am turning away from the life I've lived and I am instead, not 360, because that would be a full circle in case you're geometrically challenged. I had to think about that for a second. But instead turning 180, turning your back to the world and your back to your own ways and your back to sin and saying, I want to live for God. There are many people in this place. And I would go far enough to say there are many people in our world today, they're recognizing this. They're coming to that place of self-awareness. I, I know we're, we're so sick, and I'm with you. We're so sick of talking about the last couple of years in our world. But I can tell you that one good thing these last couple of years have brought is an awareness for people that the things they've been holding on to in their life are not foundations. If they held on to money, it was shaken. If they held on to health, it was shaken. If they held on to whatever else, all of those things have been shaken in the last couple of years. And I understand it's been tough. It's been hard. I've said goodbye to people that I love because of some of these battles. I've seen things playing out that I have question marks about. And I'm not happy with things sometimes either in our world. But I can tell you, if there's one thing that people really need to get, it's to come to the place of awareness that the This world has nothing to offer compared to Jesus. I can hang my hat on everything or I can hang my hat on Jesus. And I'm telling you, Jesus is the only one who will stand firm in the midst of it all. Period. There are many people, I believe, in this place. They may not know how to articulate it. They may not know how to bring it up in conversation. But there are many people, they're recognizing, I need something more than what I've got. And they need to hear the gospel of Jesus. And we need to be those people who are seizing the opportunities to bring hope to the hopeless and answers to the questions and light to the darkness and to help point people to life instead of death. Here's where I'm encouraged. And I want to talk for just a moment, especially to parents in the room who are struggling with children who seem to be away from God. Somewhere along the way, the Father's goodness had been planted 
in the heart of this younger son. I know what I'm about to say and it blesses me already. Somewhere along the way, there had been a seed put in of the Father's goodness. It's an encouragement for us today to stand on the Word of God. Parents, that we can train up our children in the way they should go. And when they are older, they will not depart from it. Maybe you're claiming today, I did train my kids. And it seems like they're away. But you're believing today that by the power of the Holy Spirit and by influencers who are sent by God, that seed is going to be watered and we're going to see it grow and we're going to see lost children come home to God. They're going to come back to where they know they need to be. It's planted Luke 15, verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I'm going back to dad. And I'm going to tell him, look, I blew it. You're right. Whatever you could think about me, the worst you could think about me, you ought to assume every bit of it because I've done every bit of it. I am bad. I am sinful. I've done these things. He was disrespectful of his father. He was forgetting how good he had it. He went to a foreign land with many sinful opportunities. He lived wildly and wasted everything. He was feeding the pigs and wanting to eat their food. But verse 17 told us he came to his senses. Now remember context. The Pharisees have heard about this younger son and fully supported this message that the son has basically developed to go back and say to his father, if you can put yourself in the pharisaical religious shoes that are critical, you would think of this kid as the scum, as a full-fledged sinner unworthy of anything. But what Jesus was about to show them would blow their minds and illustrate his point. The son started his journey home. I don't know how long the driveway was or how much grass was between the front porch and the wood line. But the Bible says, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him. The father never wanted him to leave, but he didn't force him to stay. And I don't know what picture you get, but when I've read this passage, I've always seen a father who watched his son leave with tears in his eyes and sat on that front porch. Maybe that's a southern way of living, I don't know, but... He sat on that front porch with his cup of coffee every day, looking out over the horizon, seeing the end of that dirt road, seeing the tree line, hoping that that day would be the day he came home. He never wanted him to leave, and he was always right there waiting for him to come back. 
And the Bible says while he was still a long way off, the young son, his father saw him. And he was filled with compassion for him. That idea of compassion that does more than just have empathy or sympathy. But even in Jesus, we saw compassion that compelled him to feed thousands and to heal sickness and disease. And the Bible says he was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son. And he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Listen, you got to know, rich folks didn't run. They had servants to do it for them. That was undignified. Not to mention having to hold his cloak and his garments to even be able to run. But it was his lost son. It was the one he loved. It was the one who had been lost. And here's the son. He goes on to preach his message to the father that he's developed. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And it doesn't mean that the father ignored the message. I believe he received it, but he didn't stop at the guilty place. I tell you, I know what I'm about to say and it's good stuff. I hope you're listening. The father received the message, but he didn't stop with the guilt. He put the robe on him. He put a ring of the father's authority on his finger. He put sandals on his feet. He killed the fattened calf, and he threw a party on one of the greatest days that place had ever seen. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. Here's the grace. God welcomes sinners as His own children. My God. God welcomes sinners as His own children. No person, we sang it this morning. I didn't even think about it until we were in the middle of worship. No person is beyond the boundaries of His grace. The only hope the younger son had, the only hope the younger son had rested in the response of his father. He couldn't do enough to earn his way back. The only hope he had rested in the response of the Father. And the same today in our world is still true. Self is sinful. Self lives in sinful ways. Self makes sinful decisions. And only God can save. Here's the reality. God in His love and His grace is also just and holy and righteous and pure. And the Father is under no obligation. And yet today we can say, Celebrate because the Father responds to a humble heart of repentance when the only hope is what God will do. It's all the hope you need to be set free and forgiven in your life. The important thing to God is that you come home. That's the important thing. The important thing to God is that you come home. People have to come to a place of coming to God. No doubt about it. The next question we'll wrestle with together next week. Is are we prepared to welcome those sinners like God? And are we prepared to celebrate with the angels in heaven?
Man, I feel the Spirit of God this morning. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes if you're in the room today. And if you're online, I just, I just pray in this moment that right where you are, you'd be able to pause and let God speak to you. If you're in this room or online today and you're not following Jesus I want you to see today in this parable the truth and grace of scripture in yourself you have no hope in the world you won't find hope other than hope so But you can have confident assurance. You should place your confidence in God to be faithful to do what He said He would do. The bad news is every human being on the face of the planet is born under the curse of sin. The bad news is that sin separates from God. God never intended this to be the case. But here we are today because we as humanity, Adam as a representative of all of us, made the decision to do things our own way. Made the decision to rebel against what God said, to take God's truth and exchange it for a lie. It's bad news because it's all of us who have to deal with it. If it stopped with the bad news, it'd be really bad news. But I love it when someone comes to me and says, I've got good news and bad news. Which do you want first? The bad news is sin. The good news, the best news you could ever hear is Jesus Christ. God loved you enough, the Bible says, that He gave His only Son. That whoever, tribe, race, nationality, ethnicity, that whomever, socioeconomic status, that whomever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Today that truth has not been drowned out since thousands of years ago and it won't be drowned out even if we live thousands of years from now. The best news you could ever hear is that Jesus willingly laid down His life for you so that you could come home. So that you could know that loving Father filled with compassion who will forgive you of your sin and lead your life in a way that you could never lead yourself. I'm going to ask this morning anyone here who is part of our prayer team, any leaders who are in the room today who can help in these moments that you would come and make your way to both sides of the auditorium today. And in these next few moments, I want you to know that there are people who will pray with you, people who will agree with you, 
There are people who will lovingly embrace you as needed just as the Father embraced the Son. There are people who will pray with you to say for the very first time, I want to follow Jesus. And there are people who will pray with you for the time where you know you're not with God where you have been or where you should be, but you want to come home today. Even now, Holy Spirit, I pray, convince anyone online or in person of their need for you. In the next few moments, I'm going to pray with Christ followers in the room and Christ followers online. And then I'm going to open this area up and say, if you want to pray with someone, you can do that before you leave. Before we wrap up, I want to talk to Christ followers this morning. If you're in the auditorium, I want to ask you today, would you stand with me? Would you stand wherever you are, if you can? We want to pray today, Christ followers, that we would be faithful to the Lord, of course. We also want to pray today for people in our world to see and understand the truth more than they ever have before. Maybe that's those lost children we were talking about earlier. We want to be a people who join with our God and pursue lost people. And when they want to respond to the truth, we, want, we don't want to leave that sin cloud, if you will, hanging over them. We want to embrace them and welcome them into the family of God with compassion and grace that the lost might not only be saved, but they might grow on to continue to follow Jesus. So I want us to pray together today. Lord, we may not know every heart around us. But Lord, you do. And Lord, we want to be used of you to speak truth and grace into the lives of people around us. We start today from, Lord, a place of gratitude that you've, you've been gracious to us. Your loving kindness led us to repentance. Lord, we thank you today that we're your children with all the blessings of being your children. We thank you today that when we didn't deserve it, you lavishly poured out your love and grace on us, God. We're forever grateful. Because you've been faithful, Lord, through the years. Now, Lord, we ask that we would be able to help and empowered to help people around us, dear Lord, who, who haven't come to a place of repentance, who haven't come to a place of awareness. That, Lord, somehow, some way, a door would be open to show kindness and love a gracious spirit towards those around us. And Lord, in, in being gracious, we would speak the truth with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way, O oh Lord, that they're able to see and know. And God, not just in this room today or not just online through the online campus, but Lord, in every day of our lives, 
Help us to keep in view that there are lost people who you love. And that you're inviting to come home. Help us, Lord, to be a part of that kingdom work in every one of our lives. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you today. I remind you that there are people on both sides of this auditorium that will pray with you, that will counsel you, that will encourage you, will point you to Jesus. That whether it's your first time or whether you know you're not where you need to be with God, you recognize there's a separation today. There are people who will pray with you and help point you to Jesus. I'm going to pray over you. And I'm going to trust today that you will respond to what the Spirit of God is saying. May that even be your prayer. Spirit, what are you saying to me in this today? Father, I pray that you bless and keep this people. That you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. May your countenance ever be turned their direction, Lord. And grant them your peace. Go with us. Keep us. Use us for your glory. Today, Lord, we celebrate that lost people are found. That you welcome us home. Help us to go in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to welcome home more who will be your children. In Jesus' name.